For the past two weeks, you've been reading about a bad brag. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. In 1939, when Yankees great Lou Gehrig gave his legendary farewell speech, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, wasn't widely known. It had been identified 70 years earlier, but it was only after Gehrig's diagnosis that the world became aware. It's a disease in which motor neurons, which initiate and control muscle movement from the brain, degenerate and die. People lose the ability to speak, eat, move, and even breathe. Lou Gehrig passed away in 1941. A year later, Stephen Hawking was born. Hawking lived a good portion of his life without signs of any disability. He studied math and physics, earned a PhD in physics, but at the young age of 21, was diagnosed with what had become known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Doctors didn't think he would live long but he did survive another 50 years with ALS. To many, Dr. Hawking was one of the smartest people to have ever lived with an IQ score, for what that's worth, the same as Albert Einstein, 160. His disability was a real problem though, not just for him, but for science. Someone with that much to contribute needed to be able to speak at meetings and conferences. They needed to write peer-reviewed articles, write books for the rest of us. They were expected to develop and publish new ideas to advance society. We are deeply appreciative of his commitment to be with us and to share his views of the importance of applying technology to disabled persons. Professor Stephen Hawking. Hawking used assistive technology to compensate for mobility and speech difficulties, much of it designed by Indian engineers. He used a thumb switch and a blink switch attached to his glasses to control his computer. By squeezing his cheek muscles and blinking, an infrared switch was activated and he was able to scan and select characters on a screen to compose speeches through a voice synthesizer. Technology has transformed the outlook for the disabled. People like me can now move around independently. The fact that you are listening to me now shows what technology can do, even if it does give me a Scandinavian or American accent. Of course, Dr. Hawking did publish many articles and over 25 books on theoretical physics and the Big Bang Theory. He taught at Cambridge University. He gave to each of us the most comprehensive understanding we've ever had of cosmology. Today, on Stories and Strategies, we dig into the updated PRCA Accessible Communications Guidelines. We can and we must do better as comms pros to be more inclusive. If one is unfortunate enough to be disabled, this is the age in which to be so. My name is Doug Downs. My guest this week is George Coleman, joining from London. Hello, George. Hi, Doug. How are you? How are things in London today? They're good. The spring sunshine is out, so everyone's in great mood. 
and we're not we're not rainy or any of that. All the stereotypes <laughs> that's that's not working today, right? It's a good day. It's not today. Day. Today is a good day. Not today. George, you have more than 25 years experience in PR and marketing, although you actually you started your career as an electronics engineer, uh, but you progressed past pushing buttons now. Spent some time with the BBC, then shifted into PR. You've run high-impact campaigns for a stellar portfolio of blue-chip clients such as Microsoft, Google, Yahoo, Samsung, SAP, Motorola, and Toshiba. You founded Interpublic Group Agency Creation in 2011 and served as global president before teaming up with Current Marketing to form Current Global in 2019, and you are currently the CEO at Current Global. George, let's first talk about how these accessibility guidelines came about. And you have a a personal driver here. That's right. Um, Well, my father is deaf, and so is my uh, well, so he's his twin brother, uh, my uncle. So growing up, it was always a challenge to communicate with them. But, you know, as a family, you make the effort. That's, that's kind of what you do. Um, but sadly, that's not always been my experience of professional communications. Um, you know, every day I see that content is published that's inaccessible to many. Campaigns are launched that aren't designed to be inclusive of Uh, people of all abilities but it really doesn't have to be that way and I think lack of awareness around accessibility and understanding of best practices has has really been a major challenge for our industry you know technology has been a barrier in the past in terms of being able to easily and efficiently produce accessible content but really that's no longer true at all Um, Today, we now have all of the tools we need to produce and publish accessible content. They're freely available. For example, if you look in the Microsoft Office suite of products, you'll see there's a feature called Accessibility Checker. It's a bit like spell check, but instead checks your documents for any accessibility errors or things that you need to correct. Every modern uh, browser has accessibility tools built into them. And, you know, it's able to convert text into speech, for example. Um, And all of the major social platforms have a whole range of different accessibility tools baked into those platforms. Um, You can have uh, tools that are free to download, like Microsoft's own contrast checker for when you're doing design or graphic work. And the list goes on. So really, we have everything that we need to make all of our uh, content fully accessible. And for me personally, obviously, I I have that family connection of living with people with disability and and having to overcome those those communications issues. But really, the aha moment for me and understanding that we really did have all this technology ready available was a couple of years ago, we're having a meeting with our Microsoft client uh, specifically to talk about uh, the accessibility features in their technology portfolio. Uh, And as that meeting progressed, it just dawned on me, gosh, you know, we really do have everything we need. And and the only thing that's holding us back from making all of our uh, content and our communications truly accessible was just really changing the need to change the way that we worked. So to change some of the behaviors, to change some of the workflows. And all of that actually is pretty straightforward. And that led us to then um, make our own agency commitment to... Uh, uh, making sure that all of the communications we publish on behalf of ourselves or our clients uh, meet those standards 
and we called that accessible by design. But it wasn't just about us. We also wanted to instigate positive change through the industry. So we developed the guidelines and uh, with the PRCA and the PR Council um, to really share and raise awareness of um, accessibility in communications. I think that's one of the key points is accessibility tools are now accessible. Uh, there, there really is no excuse anymore. It is, it's behavioral and I suppose awareness leads into the change in behavior. Let, let's run through some of the numbers. In the show notes, we mention people with disabilities make up one in eight people on this earth. That's amazing. And have a buying power of $13 trillion. You're, you're absolutely right, Doug. It's a, it's a very, very large audience um, that, unfortunately, the PR and communications industry is, is excluding by either by default or by design. Um, disabilities obviously come in many different forms, both visible and unseen. Uh, the disabilities that are most connected to and impacted by our work, so the accessibility of communications, um, are visual, hearing, cognitive and speech. And according to the World Health Organization, it's 15% of people, a billion people around the world, have some form of disability. So to give give some sense of that, um, in terms of numbers, that's 400 million people have a severe hearing loss, 300 million people are visually impaired, and 200 million have a cognitive disability. Furthermore, with an aging population, uh, more than 2 billion people will need at least one assistive communication, memory, or hearing aid in the next 10 years. Here in the UK, around 20%, one in five of the population, will experience a communication difficulty at some point in their lives. So as I said, that that really is a truly significant audience to exclude um, from from our work, either by by default or by by design. And as, as you mentioned, that audience has a purchasing power of $13 trillion globally. So making communications truly accessible, it's not just morally the right thing to do. It's actually good for business too. It's good for our clients um, in order to um, access that, that market and that potential buying power. It just makes no sense to build a communications plan whereby you default to, look, one in eight people either can't access this information or we're going to make it a bit harder for one in eight to access that just that just doesn't make any sense so to develop and follow accessibility principles strategies tactics we need to better understand the lived experience of how people across the various disabilities consume media and content and at a time when media and content itself is morphing and changing, right? What did you find in your research? Yeah, so when we first looked at um, accessibility as a as a issue that we wanted to address as as an agency, you know, we, we put a lot of time and effort into obviously researching best practices, but we also um, looked for insight into the lived experience of people with disabilities, and and we didn't find any any data or, uh, around. That subject. So, so we decided to commission our own research with one of our IPG partners, and to do this first of a uh, first of its kind study into uh, how people with disability consume media and content, and what their experiences were of doing so. 
Uh, in total, we surveyed more than a thousand people, both here in the UK and in the US. So a, a pretty substantive um, piece of field research. And there was a bunch of things that we found. You can actually, uh, anyone can have access to download that report if you go to accessible-communications.com. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a site that we've created to share all of this best practice content, research, and, and more. Uh, what we found was that people with disability regularly consume all forms of uh, content, visual and non-visual content. Um, and we often, you know, uh, probably have the temptation to make assumptions, um, but a lot of those assumptions will likely be wrong. For example, we found that 98% um, of people who have visual disabilities consume visual content weekly or more often. Huh. So it would be lazy of us to assume that that particular group wouldn't consume our video content that we put out, for example. So it reinforces the, the need to, to better understand our audiences and, and certainly those consumption patterns. One big takeaway for, from the research was, and we, we looked at the different channels and different platforms where that content was consumed, and social media really stood out as one of the most problematic and most challenging uh, for people with disabilities to use. Uh, and one in five reported severe difficulties, a real challenge accessing that content. Um, a significant proportion of people with disabilities use assistive tools to access content, but that doesn't always solve the problem. And we actually found that 64% of those who use an assistive tool still reported that they have a challenge or problems consuming content. And of those people that have problems, half of them said it was actually because of the way the content was designed itself. And that's exactly where brands, where professional communicators have an opportunity to make a difference. There are certain things we can do in the way we create and the way we publish that content to make them more readily accessible, uh, readily accessible both for um, people who, who aren't using tools, but also people who are using those tools. So it's really incumbent on us to, to do a better job, frankly, um, to help alleviate some of those problems. Um, I, think, I think the thing that came through from research for me, which was probably the hardest uh, thing to hear from this piece of research, was we asked a question about um, what brands could do um, to make the experience better. And the overwhelming response was very simple. It was, I don't know. And, and what that told us um, was that people with disability have kind of normalized these really poor experiences. <laughs> They've got to the point where they just, I don't know. I don't know what else can happen. Um, and I think that's a, a pretty shocking state of affairs. Um, and certainly as a professional communicator, that I find that pretty just depressing. Um, to be, to be it's unacceptable, actually. Yeah. Um, and, and you can see the impact that that has. So when a brand's communication is inaccessible, 81% of the people that we surveyed had a really negative emotional response, pretty understandably. Uh, but it's a negative response to that brand. So they, they felt frustrated, ignored, unhappy, and isolated. So those poor experiences are, are really having a, a pretty negative impact on the way that people perceive uh, brands. Conversely, though, 
uh, our, our respondents told us that when brands' communications are accessible, the complete opposite happens. They have a really positive experience. And 60% of them said that they would then take a positive action towards the brand. So that would uh, include purchasing it over another uh, and recommending it to, to, to family and friends. And, th and that's, that goes back to the earlier point about purchasing power and, and the sort of real commercial imperative behind this too, that if you have a positive experience, it's gonna drive purchase preference and intent and recommendation. So there is a positive commercial outcome for this too. So it's not just a moral thing, it's good business to, to make communications accessible. And I, and I think for us, that, that was a really important link that this study uh, developed in terms of um, you know not just raising awareness but also making the business case for for why accessible communications matters. Well, especially right now, look at the opportunity. Obviously, it's a gaping opportunity for businesses to invest in this. Okay, let's get to specifics. What are some of the specific things that companies can do to execute more accessible communication processes and materials? Well, <clears throat> I think the first thing that everyone needs to do is just make the commitment make the commitment to working towards making all of, all of your comms accessible. And I think it's important to recognize that no one will be perfect from day one. It's a journey. Um, but progress is so much more important than perfection. And the majority of the best practices you know, involve relatively small changes to the way that we work. You know, I've, I've already mentioned Accessibility Checker you know, at the end of producing a document, we will naturally hit spell check. <laughs> we should just be have that natural reflex to hit accessibility check. That's not a massive change in our behavior, but then it means that we start producing content material that is fully accessible. It means, for example, when we're doing a piece of design, we run that through uh, a color contrast checker. Um, actually, interestingly, um, our design team, because they uh, were using this tool, actually proposed to us that we should change our logo, the colors in our logo, um, because the way that we use them in presentations, uh, we, ch we changed the color scheme to make it more accessible, uh, full stop. So, that, that, you know, we, we've actually gone that, that, to that extent to, to, to make ourselves as accessible brand as, as possible. Um, you know, things like writing style. So again, there are the tools that you can use just to simply check uh, what uh, mental age that you're or um, you, you know you're, you're writing that content for so you know it has the widest possible audience reach um, things like social platforms you just need to to get familiar with the different tools and once you understand all those tools it's very easy just to build in their use into how you go publish content so all of these things are, are quite small incremental changes to the work that we're already doing but when you put them side by side, that really does add up to, to a big difference. You know, I, th I think for me, one of the key ones is alt text, alternative text. So every time you publish an image, it's writing a short description of what that image is all about. Um, you know, just things like that uh, help um, create a much richer experience and, and they really take very little time at all. Um, you know, we, we um, have asked we're encouraging our, our friends and other agencies in client organizations to, to make that commitment. 
Um, we've asked people that if they want to, they can sign up through that accessible-communications.com um, site. Um, and I'm really encouraged. We've had many organizations sign up already and collectively they actually represent 22,000 professionals, PR professionals around the world. And if you think there's what circa 100,000 people in our industry, then then we've made some some substantial headway so far. But obviously, there's another eighty thousand people out there that that need to make that commitment, or at least their their organisations need to make that commitment. So, for me, number one, it's just simply saying we're going to take this seriously, and, and we're going to invest the time and effort to, to changing the way that we work. Um, to facilitate that, the second thing I think um, organisations need to do is really designate internal. Uh, champions. Mm -hmm. As we were going through this process, um, we actually put out a call uh, amongst all our offices around the world, and the response was overwhelming. You know, how many people have experiences themselves personally through their families, through people they know, and they just really wanted to get involved. And and it's important because I think for for some people. Inertia comes from thinking, gosh, I've got to stay abreast of all these best practices. As you said, Doug, you know, things constantly change. Well, a great way to overcome that is having these champions whose role it is to, to make sure that they are keeping abreast of changes to best practices and making sure that they're disseminated across the organization. But are people that we can call in uh, to help when we're developing campaigns and just make sure that we are thinking through accessibility um, and applying those latest um, best practices um, and that really helps everyone stay up to date you know I'm just thinking about now everyone's talking about web 3 the metaverse mm. well you know we, we need to start thinking about accessibility there so you know th those are the kind of tasks that those champions can play within your organization so they can be that that super important um, uh, resource and that point about the metaverse is I think is actually important because you know a year or two ago the, the latest social platform was Clubhouse, yeah. which, you, which you may remember. And it's, as, it's dying off, it seems. Yeah. Well, it is now. Yes, I think, I think you're right. I think it's on, it, on its way out. But I think in the communications industry, we love bright, new, shiny things. And we love the latest platforms. And everyone gravitated to it. And I can imagine in so many client meetings is, what's our Clubhouse strategy? <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's exclusionary. That was an exclusionary platform for anyone with any form of hearing disability absolutely so i think champions can play that important role of not just you know disseminating information but also um you know representing people with disability uh in those meetings and a lot of our champions themselves have have disabilities and i think that's that that's super important so we can really stress test those strategies and and thinking um, you know, we we um, actually employed. I have a colleague um, based in the in the US who is blind, for example, and so she's an incredible resource. So as much as a, an agency, we feel we've got to grip with all these best practices. Bringing her in uh, when we're developing campaign concepts and so forth is just so invaluable to us as a, as an organisation. Um, and that really leads me to that third point: to so make the commitment, identify your champions within the organisation. And then thirdly, it's really about uh, embracing accessibility by design. Um, and that, for me, is, is making sure that we're thinking about accessibility not at the end of a process of developing a campaign. So, you know, we may develop the content suite and say, okay, we've got to add captions and audio description to video. We've got to add alt text to this and so forth and so, forth and so on. Um, 
but <clears throat> really uh, building in accessibility uh, uh, right from the campaign concept. And, th and that often will change the way you think fundamentally about the entire campaign. And it's not just something we consider at a later stage. And I think that will make us better professionals. You know, it will make our campaigns more impactful for people of all abilities. You know, a, a very simple example is that is that 80% of video on Facebook is consumed without the sound on. You know, right. if we don't That's have right. <laughs> right. If we, if we don't have subtitles, you know, pe people are missing out on that uh, 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 on engagement with that content. You know, whatever ability you may have. And just as a side note to that, a lot of the uh, things that have been developed um, to make the world more accessible are things that all of us now value today. Touchscreens, emojis, subtitles, you know, things like that were all originally developed and designed to assist those of us with disabilities. But today, nobody of any ability um, can imagine life without them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so you know, th this really, really reinforces that point that developing campaigns from the concept, embracing accessibility by design will lead us to create better, more impactful, engaging campaigns. Absolutely. You know, we, we, of course, we make podcasts at Stories and Strategies, but part of the content is uh, video promo. So we're making all these little pieces that are intended to go on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. And I was showing a colleague, we'd introduce closed captioning yeah. to all of them because that is how people watch videos now, the sound off. And the colleague was pushing back so hard because it was an extra 15 minutes, 10 minutes for them to apply the closed captioning. We should be charging more <laughs> for this. That was the, it's, it's amazing the kind of pushback and the reasoning for the pushback. In your experience, what is the most common form of, of opposition or pushback against some of these tactics or strategies for developing more accessible communications? Does it come down to just habit? Is it cost? Well, I, I think in your example, you, you hit the nail on the head on, on, the, on the first thing that I would say, which is really a, a misperception of the time and budget implications. And the value. You know, we don't have time. It's going to cost too much. You know, it's an extra step that is just going to be difficult for us to, to execute. Um, and I think it's you know, important to point out um, that most of the tools and technology we need to use are free. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, It won't cost us anything. <laughs> um, the, the, the changes to the way we work are often very incremental. If you hit spell check, you've got time to hit accessibility check, you know. Um, so, yes, there is some extra time implication, but not a lot. Um, and I, I think um, you also have to hit, think of it in context of offsetting it against the cost of not making comms accessible. So as our research showed, if you don't make your uh, work in, uh, accessible to all, you're creating these terrible brand experiences, you're putting people off from purchasing your products. Conversely, if you do make it accessible, then it is going to lead to, to um, better commercial outcomes for, for you as an organization. Um, you know, a wonderful example of this was actually done by um, our sister agency, Weber Shamwick, working with uh, Mattel. And they created a sort of uh, Uno playing cards uh, for people with color blindness um, by having little symbols to represent oh. the, the different colors. Yeah. And, 
that, that sold like hotcakes, you know. So, so an example of how access, accessibility in that particular case actually created a new product category that was wildly successful. Um, and our, my colleague, who I reference, who, who is blind, you know, um, has had a similar experience actually with Uno, where they um, had a version for um, people with blindness where there was Braille uh, imprints, so, you, so that she could play. She told everyone. She was a huge advocate for that brand. So the cost of not making your comms accessible means you're missing out on all of that brand love, the advocacy, and obviously the purchase of those products. So mm -hmm. I think we have to get quickly over the, the idea that this is a real time and budget suck. I think it, it's it's complete opposite. Um, and the last thing that I, I think is you know, often a barrier is that internal prioritization. Um, so DEI, is um, you know a really big focus in the communications industry and rightly so. Um, but when you dig into some of the data, we see that 90% of companies have DEI programs, large companies, but only 4% of those are prioritizing disability inclusion. Um, obviously, there's a much broader conversation to be had about how we build more inclusive workplaces and work environments. Um, especially now we, we're in this new world of, of hybrid working. So there, there's a whole set of other issues that are connected to how we um, in, you know, make uh, uh, organizations more inclusive for people with disability full stop. But certainly I think through that, that comms lens, it doesn't get the priority that it perhaps should. And, and, and I find that, um, again, I find that, challenging you know going back to my experiences with my father with my uncle and now being a communications professional i'm driven by the desire to engage the broadest possible audience with my work so why wouldn't you know why wouldn't i want to take this seriously so they, they, i i don't quite understand why that gap exists but you know the first thing we uh, need to do to address it is just to acknowledge that it exists um so you know, and again, perhaps um, part of that is also acknowledging that um, making accessible comms is good for business, and maybe that will start to uh, change attitudes too. For me personally, um, my goal is to really help instigate that that change. Um, you know, we've done that through um, obviously the the example of uh, the, the PRCA guidelines is is a major contribution to that. But yeah, I kn I know we. Uh, We'll get there at some point, and you know. So my aspiration or ambition is that every person with disability just feels more connected, more engaged, and more valued through accessible communications. And every person that feels that is going to be a major win. Wonderful, George. Thank you for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you, Doug. If you'd like to send a message to my guest George Coleman, you can message or connect with him on Twitter. It's at the PR monkey. George, that's just simply the greatest PR Twitter handle <laughs> I think I've ever heard. Is there a story behind that one or you just came up with it? I, I, I it was obviously this is a silly moment and uh, I joined Twitter way back when, uh, many years ago. And, and to be honest, I can't, I can't remember why. It obviously seemed like a great idea at the time. I think it's fantastic. Um, we don't normally offer free transcripts for episodes. Obviously, we will for this one. If you'd like a transcript of this episode, just email me here, doug at storiesandstrategies.ca. 
Don't forget the .ca on the back of that. It's not a .com. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Stories and Strategies podcasts. We're hoping you might leave a rating for this podcast on either Apple or Spotify or any directory. Reviews are also very welcome. They really feed the algorithm and more people can find the podcast. You can connect with us on Twitter. We don't have the same cool handle that George has. It's just at stories underscore strats. And we're on Instagram. More than anything else, if you liked this episode, would you do us a favor and tell just one friend? Thanks for listening.